0: At
1: LuckyLandslots.com Available to players in the U.S. Excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void work prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Welcome to More Than Amused podcast. A podcast all about women and the arts. Hosted by Stani and Sadie.
0: Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist. Examine modern day problems. And educate ourselves and you. On important and forgotten female
1: artists of the past. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to More Than Amuse. My name is Sadie. And I'm Stani. And welcome back. I'm very excited about this topic today because Yay. the thing that inspired it is I went on a vacation a couple weeks ago. And on this vacation, well, on the flight there, I guess, they, you know, had movies that you could pick from to watch. And I was going through my options and I realized, wow, I have... Never seen the movie 9 to 5. And as someone who is obsessed with Dolly Parton, I don't know how I have never made the effort to watch that movie. I love the song 9 to 5. I'm familiar with the musical 9 to 5 even as well. But I have never actually seen the movie. And so I watched it on the airplane ride home. And I was like, this movie is amazing. Yes, it, <laughs> it is. is not, it's not what I expected at all. Because I, All I knew is it is about women in the workplace. And had, of course, Dolly Parton. And after I got off the plane, I texted Stani. Well, it was probably the next day. It probably wasn't that dramatic. Regardless, (laughs) I was like, we have to do a full episode on the movie 9 to 5. And I, on the other hand, had never heard of the movie, the
0: musical. I had heard of the song. You didn't know it was a movie? I did not know it was a movie. And I did not know there was a musical until after I watched the movie. (laughs) I had no idea. And I've seen a lot of like older movies, but this is one that I had not heard of. I'm surprised you hadn't even heard of it. Mm
1: -hmm. But I mean, obviously the song. I guess maybe you would think that if you hear of 9 to 5, you just assume they're talking about the song. Oh, yeah, totally.
0: I think I probably Mm -hmm. heard it multiple times and I was just like, oh, yeah, like the song by Dolly Parton. And then I realized that I hadn't even listened to the song as clearly as I thought I had that like, I knew the course and everything Yeah. that I didn't realize it was specifically about women in the workplace because I just thought it was yeah. like working your office job, you know, nine to five. And then no. I was
1: like, wait like, a second. Yeah. There's like a whole lyric about, mm-hmm. you know, you are just a step on the boss man's ladder and they're taking yeah, advantage of your, your ideas and, and they never it. give you credit. It's enough to drive you crazy if you let right. it.
0: Yeah. And not only what is a it a song. movie, it's, an adorable, hilarious comedy that wasn't it like a box office hit?
1: Yeah, it was. I saw the film grossed over $103.9 million. And it was Dolly Parton's like debut as an actress. That's awesome. She did great. I know. Oh, I love her character so much. Yeah. It came out oh my gosh. in 1980. Yes. Yes.
0: And it's an hour and 50 minutes. You guys can watch it on Amazon Prime. You have to rent mm-hmm. it. I think it was like four bucks. Or if you take a Delta flight, it's free. There you go. Either pay for <laughs> so, a plane you know, tickets, four dollars.
1: Ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Your pick. Yeah, whatever, whatever you think is more reasonable, it's fine. I almost like don't want to say the plot because if you haven't watched it, I want no. you to watch it. The surprise but... <laughs> is hilarious because I you just it's the most bizarre. <laughs> it really like it's like brilliant. a slap. I think I read something that he was inspired by like the 1940s comedies of almost just like impossible thing happening after impossible thing. Mm -hmm. Anyways, if you have not seen the movie, I want you to Promise in your hearts that you are going to skip the next two minutes of the podcast episode. Well,
0: here's the hard part. We'll probably bring up other parts of the movie throughout the episode as well. So maybe
1: this is more of just a stop, go watch the movie, and then come back. <laughs> then come back. <laughs> That's a really good point because yeah. I... I was on the plane and it was like a red eyes. So it was really late. I was laughing out loud mm-hmm. at this movie and I was just like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I think it's one of my new favorite movies because I just I was not expecting what this movie ended up being. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was. It's a good one. It's funny. Also, I'll mention because this is where the episode's going. There is also a nine-to-five organization that actually came first. Yes. Um, And there is a documentary on Netflix. I think it's just called Nine to Five, The Movement. Yeah, I I think think. so. Yes, that talks about it as well as a little bit about the movie. So we watched the Nine to Five movie as well as the documentary this week. And we'll kind of talk about how the movement was pushed forward by the movie or how, you know, the movement inspired the movie. And then Mm -hmm. we'll talk a little bit more about the movie fun facts about how it was created and stuff because just what a glorious piece of feminist art that i am just so happy definitely
0: exists. yeah Created with a lot of women that inspired it and were involved in every part of it it's incredible
1: so yeah that's what t- it this really is, about. is. <laughs> yeah just an homage to nine to five and i've been wanting to do a dolly parton episode in like some yeah. kind of way and i feel like this is a good starting way to do it i love dolly parton we are gonna get to like just so much to her life yeah
0: we'll get to like a full-on dolly parton episode at some point i'm sure but this is a great introduction
1: (laughs) okay so i'm going to give the plot basics here first i'm just reading it from the wikipedia page here so judy burnley is the main character and she starts working as a secretary at consolidated companies under the supervision of a more experienced woman named violet newstead and they both work under the egotistical sexist vice president frank hart who actually violet had trained and like so she started and trained him and then of course he ends up surpassing her and the vice president also spreads this false rumor that he and his attractive married secretary doralee rhodes are having an affair doralee rhodes is dolly parton also i should mention that it also starred jane fonda and lily tomlin big movie stars fonda was the one who played the new girl at the company the one Mm -hmm. who started out and
0: then lily tomlin is the older more experienced Experienced. woman who's been there yes forever
1: exactly so Hart, the boss turns down violet for a promotion and then violet reveals to dorley dolly parton the rumor about the affair and that leads to both women just to taking the afternoon off in kind of a fury and the new girl judy joins them they get drunk and then they go and smoke marijuana at dorley's house and they all fantasize about how they would get revenge on Hart. so basically they're just fantasizing about ways that they would kill their own bosses judy would shoot him like a hunter does a deer dorley would hogtie him and roast him over a slow fire and violet would poison his coffee and you would think that this is just a nice little like fantasization is that the right word I whatever so. yeah but these come back <laughs> they're <laughs> fantasies so the next day violet is like all frustrated and she accidentally puts rat poison in his coffee yeah but before he can drink it and it is actually on accident yes it's not like she you know
0: <laughs> it says it was an really accident. funny too because you can like see what's about to happen and then you're like oh no uh-huh because the same box as like the coffee sweetener, it's like a yellow box and it's called like sweet and low or something like that. Yeah. It's the same color and shape and size as rat poison, which I hope is never a thing ever again because making food look exactly
1: like rat poison is a bad <laughs> Like, hopefully, that was just a movie device, not real. <laughs> but yeah, so he, right before he can even drink the coffee, though, his desk chair malfunction, he falls back, he hits his head, which makes him pass out. Mm-hmm. She realizes her mistake thinks that the poisoned coffee is what made him black out. They all meet at the hospital just in time that they overhear a doctor pronounce a man dead from poisoning. And they think that the dead man they're talking about is their boss. So she steals the body. (laughs) When this was happening in the movie, I was just... So amazed that this is where the movie was going. <laughs> this is the craziest um, part by sure. I know. She steals the body to prevent them from performing an autopsy, but the entire time she's like arguing with the other two women, but they crash the car. That damages their car. But then when they go to the back to get the tire to like, you know, fix their fender or whatever, she discovers that the body is not actually their boss. And so they return it to the hospital, which, by the way, the way they returned it to the hospital, I'm like, they just wrapped that up really quickly. put his body, It was funny. So then the next day they like they see their boss and that he's totally fine. And she, they're obviously shocked Basically, they are all talking about it in the bathroom that she had accidentally poisoned it. And there's this one other character who's like the big suck up to the boss. She goes and tells the boss everything that she overheard. And so (laughs) he uses that as like ammunition and says to Doralee, like, hey, if you spend the night with me, he he won't report her and the other women for attempted murder love it dorley refuses and when Hart refused to hear her out she ties him up and stuffs a scarf he had given her as a gift in the mouth to keep him quiet so like people are you know they're getting their fantasies she gotta tie him up like he's a hog so good for him he eventually gets loose which then leads judy to shoot at him with dorley's (laughs) handgun so again everyone gets their thing (laughs) But basically, they find out that he had been selling consolidated inventory and pocketing the proceeds. So they blackmail him into keeping quiet. But when they're told that invoices, okay, I I didn't mention this. They like keep him prisoner in his home. Yeah. For for weeks. Weeks. And they like create this device that keeps him locked up in his room, but like keeps him attached to the ceiling. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah, cuz that's the they they're told that the invoices that she ordered that would prove his crimes they won't arrive for four to six weeks so they confine him to his bedroom wearing a hang gliding suit tied to a remote controlled garage door opener mm-hmm. and then while Hart is out of the office they implement several programs that are popular with the workers including an in-office daycare center equal pay for men and women flexible hours and a job sharing program where employees can work part-time but days before the invoices arrive he though his wife like returns from this like six week long vacation that she was so conveniently on and that gives him the time to buy back the inventory he sold. So before they can report like, you know, It basically foils their plans, but before he can report Judy Dorley and Violet to the police, the chairman of the board, Russell Tinsworthy, arrives to meet with Hart, and he congratulates him on all of the amazing improvements to the office that have resulted in a 20% increase in productivity, which, because all the women, they were like signing off as Hart, like for all of these. They were basically acting like he was there, he wasn't there, who knows. They were covering for him. But as a result, he invites Hart to join him on a multi-year project in Brazi- to, in Brazil. He reluctantly agrees, and then Violet, Judy and Doralee celebrate their success. Violet is eventually promoted to vice president, Judy leaves and then marries the Z- Xerox representative, and Doralee also leaves to become a country western singer. And that is the end of the movie. <laughs>
0: it's just a cute like a silly funny comedy it has these charming little moments yes. wonderful characters and yeah like and no you really point, love these women yeah
1: at some points I was just like what the heck is gonna happen now <laughs> <laughs> yeah literally that's what I was just, like I couldn't look away because I was like literally like the middle of the movie they were they had stolen a body from the the hospital and yeah. I'm like where do we go from here <laughs> they just returned it and that was the- <laughs> oh man it was very funny and yeah like you mentioned the film grossed 103.9 million Dollars. it launched part into like mainstream culture a television series of the same name that was based on the film actually ran for five seasons a musical play was you know that was based on the musical was created with new songs that opened in 2009 so it definitely became like a cultural moment this movie yeah i i love that honestly mm-hmm. then, well do you want to give us the background yeah, and cool. what led to this lovely piece of art being created
0: perfect Well, starting off with just a little bit of context, of course, which is always fun. Yes. In our history of Western feminism episode, we talked a little bit about the book Feminist Mystique by Betty Friedan. Yeah. And how Mm -hmm. it was written in 1963 and kind of started like the second wave of feminism. What's fun about that is I've been reading the Feminist Mystique. I'm almost done. And it talks a lot about how women were discouraged from ever entering the workforce because they mm-hmm. belonged at home. And that was like the thing that was pushed over and over again, especially after World War I had ended. And everyone just wanted women to stay at home. Well, <laughs> because of that book and then the resulting movement, plus you have like the 1960s and 70s, where you have like the 1963 Equal Pay Act, the 1964 Civil Rights Act, 1972, um, I think it's title... What's the Roman numeral IX? Is that? Nine, I think. Nine? nine. Nine. Okay, Title IX Mm -hmm. of Education Amendments and then the 1979 Pregnancy Discrimination Act. It created like this new opportunity for women to enter the workforce. So they were able to pay for higher paying jobs, continue working once they became pregnant, which previously had not been allowed, believe it or not, (laughs) and even attend professional schools. And this created a... Workforce that once again was substantially women, even with people with children, were also working outside of the home. And so it went from like 27% women in 1960 to 54% women in 1980. Wow. Yeah. Like a dramatic increase. That's almost double. And one of those jobs that was there for women was secretarial work, which of course, is what the focus of the film was on. (laughs) Yeah, it was just office jobs. I don't know entirely what they were doing. Some of them were doing like data entry where they would take like numbers and figures and then enter it into the system. It was a lot of typing. The women were actually like required to type ridiculously fast. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, like a lot of words per minute. And you remember in elementary or junior high, was it junior high we did like those typing tests?
1: Yeah, uh I think so. I remember there's, like, a whole typing class. Yes, and, like, I don't think they do that anymore, probably, right? I wonder if they even need to or if kids just, like, know where all the letters are. Because it used to be, like, a very essential
0: skill. Like, you had to know how to type fast. I don't think it is anymore.
1: Yeah, it it was almost like learning cursive. Yes, which is now not a thing (laughs) which i don't think kids learn cursive anymore no they don't yeah but yeah but yeah it was a big deal like typing tests and getting your speed up like there Mm -hmm. were goals with that kind of stuff exactly and it wasn't even that long ago because like my
0: mom also had to learn typing on a typewriter and even Mm. you know computers weren't invented when she was a kid but they still (laughs) had to learn how to type on a typewriter And they had like typing competitions and would give like
1: rewards to whoever ended up winning for the fastest typing speed. I remember having an enormous sense of pride in the fact that I have a, and I still have a pretty (laughs) high words per minute.
0: (laughs) Yeah, It was something like people would require on your resume and everything. And I don't think it's a thing anymore. Maybe it in like some other more
1: office jobs. I don't know. I know that. So in my job, I'm like, you know, the supervisor over agents. And like every month you're required to take a typing test and like provide what your like typing score is Mm -hmm. in order to be considered for bonuses, which granted, I don't, I mean, I don't know why they do it because they've never denied anyone, you know, a bonus because of their typing score. I I don't know why they do it at all, but it's not necessary, I don't think. (laughs) But anyways, the only point of saying that is, I actually, oddly, do have monthly experience with typing tests, which is when I take all of my agents and say, hey, send me your typing scores for the month, please. What's your typing score, Sadie? I can sometimes get up to 100, but generally in the 90s. Okay. So, you know, I'm a woman of many talents. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I looked it up
0: because in the documentary, they start off with these, like, ads of, like, encouraging women to go into secretarial work kind of like uh old-fashioned commercials and they're talking about typing speed and an average professional typist usually types anywhere between 43 to 80 words per minute an average person is probably going to hit around 40 but most professional positions require about 80 to 95 and some advanced typists can work at speeds above 120 and the girl featured in the documentary, I shouldn't say girl, the woman featured in the documentary said that she could type at 180. That is like, that is a superpower. Right? Like I was like, that is- Incredible. Absolutely insane. And they even showed things of like doing finger gymnastics, like having special stretches in order to stretch out your hands to like
1: better type. That's amazing. <laughs>
0: All this stuff. Anyway, so women made up 70% of secretarial office positions, practically every company. We're talking like law firms and like everything, every single office job you can think of. They had a whole floor practically of secretaries. women typing away. That were typing, answering phones and helping run this company. However, (laughs) uh, which is how it goes most of the time. Um, They were getting paid significantly less, like so much less. I yeah, uh, I was going to write down the pay gap in the documentary and I can't remember what it was. I think it was like 65 cents. Yeah, it was very significant, but I can't remember either. Yeah, I think it was like 65 cents to every man's dollar. They even outlined it by race. So like Asian women, for some reason, were making 85 cents to every man's dollar. White women were making like... I think it was like white women professionals. So like upper level, were making 75 cents to every man's dollar. Regular mm. white women were making around 65 and then black women were making 50 to 40.
1: Oh my gosh. Because of
0: racism, obviously.
1: Well, yes, but <laughs> yeah. there's just so much, <laughs> such a gap. Yeah.
0: And also like, there was just like crazy things. So there was no job descriptions. They didn't have to say what they were hiring you for. You were just like a general secretary which then caused a lot of problems with like women actually
1: In their job being asked to do things That shouldn't be a part of a job description So then it's really easy to like take Advantage of women because they don't really even know What they're getting hired for so then it's easy to be like Oh I need you to go fetch my coffee And be like oh okay Yeah so they would have them fetch their coffee
0: Their dry cleaning they'd have them Mm -hmm. go to the store And pick out gifts for their wife or their Mother like all sorts of stuff That's not required of an employee in a company Like get your own personal assistant That you hire on your own time That's what You know like there's plenty of people who do that and they get paid for specifically that, but not when you're getting paid for secretarial work. That's mm-hmm. not how it works. So that was one of the problems. Um, also, like, of course, women, these women had kids. So they if their kids got sick, if they got pregnant, they couldn't take off work, they'd sometimes get fired for being pregnant.
1: Oh my god. Yeah, gosh. the minute they start. Can you shimmying- imagine? Like that's that's an encouraging thing of like, okay, we've made some progress here. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Men were working the exact same job as
0: them, like I said, but making more money. Men would make constant passes at them. Uh The crazy mm-hmm. part is, is that sexual harassment wasn't even a phrase, wasn't even a word, yeah. a term. No mm-hmm. one had a name for it. It was just like the function of your life as a woman. It was almost partner. like a
1: normal part of the gig, basically. Yeah.
0: Part of the job, which is horrible and obviously isn't fair to anyone so they started a bunch of women got together they started talking about what was happening and they were like this isn't fair and this isn't right like we shouldn't be doing all this work and getting treated so poorly and so they founded their own organization in 1973 and the whole premise was just to improve working conditions for women That was it that's all Mm -hmm. they wanted they were just like we just need better working conditions and better pay like equality in the workplace they named it nine to five because that was the hours they worked and so it was great worked out perfectly and then they started out with a newsletter called nine to five news and it was first published in december of 1972 and they just wrote articles about what it was like being a woman in the workplace And that's kind of where it started out until eventually the founders, let me look up their names really quick. The founders names are Ellen Cassidy and Karen Nussbaum. And they're in the documentary along with a lot of other women. And they decided to, you know, like push back and do a bunch of stuff. So they did a ton of things. They like went outside of workplaces and surveyed women or handed out surveys and had women turn them back in. And they got tons Mm -hmm. of responses, which was really cool, actually. Yeah, (laughs) They got so many of women talking about what the problems were and what the issues were and that there was just nowhere to go in the company, like no one to talk to when things happened, nowhere to move up because only the men would get promoted. The sexual harassment that was just horrible, like just constantly being like poked and prodded and insulted and yeah, just everything that would happen in these workplaces. And then also like just being constantly looked down on or treated like a child. That was something I feel like the movie did really well is how he always refers to him as the girls or my girls or, mm-hmm. you know, and how so condescending, Yeah, just, they weren't treated as actual employees. They were treated as like this army of maid servants mm-hmm. that were ready to wait on yeah. the boss, you know, for whatever he needed, mm-hmm. his beck and call. So they filed some class auction lawsuits against different publishing companies to get money back. One of the great things about this is that every time they went, oh, I wish there was a law in place so that employees had to do this, they then realized that there was. It was all there. Like the laws were there. They were formed. And then it just needed to be pushed back on the basis of sex and almost actually enforced yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. then they ended up forming their own union in the documentary they talk about the whole process of going through and becoming a union it's a really wonderful story also it's
1: district 925 as in 925 and I just I love that yes (laughs) and just everything else that they did with it
0: obviously it's it kind of disbanded a lot of Anti union stuff happened around the same time. And in order to mm-hmm. save the unions that were there, they had to consolidate a lot of unions together. And so 925 ended up kind of dying. However, it's still an organization today.
1: It's not necessarily a union. Yes,
0: not a union, but they still help out with women in the workplace and the problems there, especially with like sexual harassment, which we know with the Me Too movement, sadly went nowhere. Just became less apparent. (laughs) But it was that organization in the beginning that ended up inspiring James Fonda to help, well, yeah, to help the movement to write the story and the movie. I'm trying to think if there's anything else in the documentary. It was incredible. Like, such a heartwarming story, personal stories from all the women of multiple different races and backgrounds talking about what it was like. And like
1: how they were all like participating in that so yeah. actively. Oh yeah, they Which would go really cool out see. in the street and they would like march
0: around outside the companies and like yell things mm-hmm. or like go and confront the boss in a crowd and say like, this is happening. Yeah. And some of the things that were funny is that like, they didn't want a lot of the members didn't want to exist with the feminist movement so they'd be like oh no 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 no, I'm not a feminist but this is wrong and women should be treated
1: better <laughs> I remember that and also I remember like one of them kind of joking of like you just had to like get them to take a flyer or like you know you have to start them small like you don't ask them to lead the meetings you just have them come and then they so yeah it's just yeah. I guess when you're dealing with a world where feminism is still such a horrible bad thing you got to be like oh well just come and talk about your feelings like yeah. you know try and get it to be accessible to as many women as possible which i think it's cool that they like made that effort to do that and were able oh, to do it so successfully definitely
0: and even just like the things that they did with different races of people how like different chapter mm-hmm. leaders would pair like one woman and one white woman and one black woman together at every meeting to make sure that they were talking to each other and like well
1: yeah that was an interesting point because they brought up that there was like one chapter that was like oh we're really struggling to you know recruit other black women and so one of the chapters that was doing well at that was like well do your children hang out with each other like do you support these women pretty much just calling them out of like well, do you just naturally have these friendships with people? Because if not, like, They're not why would they come be a part of your m- movement if they don't feel like you actually care about helping them? And yeah. it was like, wow, like, obviously, that shouldn't be that crazy of a concept. But, you know, I think it takes just to be called out for little things like that sometimes. Agreed. I just I think
0: one of the coolest things about this whole thing with the 9 to 5 organization and the union was just it was so unified, you know, like the, the chapter leaders and the founders just had like so much care for everything that was happening. Like they just cared about it so much and tried so hard and just never gave up that it's just really cool. I feel like you don't see many things like that where it's just completely non-discriminatory and just like completely embracing everyone and just trying to help them all. Yeah.
1: I agree. I think they did a good job in that documentary of like fully giving the picture of what the movement was and, you know, telling yeah. just like the real stories of the women who were there and who were a part of it, which I thought mm-hmm. was really cool. Yeah. And they got
0: so many interviews from everyone, too, which is really cool. The organization today, I like I mentioned, it's still there. It's the largest, most respected national membership organizations of working women in the United States.
1: Wow. They continue
0: to focus on putting women's issues, especially within the workplace, on the public agenda. The main chapter started out in Boston and then quickly moved to Cleveland primarily. And then they also had mm-hmm. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Colorado, California, and Atlanta, Georgia. Obviously, like more major cities where more office work was taking place. Yeah. Back then, Utah yeah. was just cactuses and fields. And then they have women that are members all over the country and continue to fight for things against, you know, pregnancy discrimination, civil rights, medical leave, which is super important, and fair pay.
1: So all things we like. We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. All right. Today, I am spotlighting a earring maker or jewelry maker. Anyways, okay, so this is B underscore U underscore beads. Yeah, I I love her earrings so much. As someone who, if you don't know, goes by the stage name Daisy, releases music under that name. Anytime I find any type of floral earring, I just become obsessed. Anything that's a whimsical, and she has these like butterfly wings that are the monarch like butterfly wings earrings i love them so much yeah basically it looks like she's a mexican artist full-time mom made in california custom orders oh except her custom orders are currently closed oops but she does have a shop that is currently open a website yeah so just really beautiful jewelry that she creates and like i said i'm a i'm a statement earrings kind of gal so any good statement earring i can find i'm just i'm obsessed with these are amazing Yeah, they are really intricate. Daisy studs are super cute. I know. I really love those. That is just
0: so cool.
1: Mm -hmm. They look
0: like little tapestries. I know.
1: Yes, that's exactly what it is.
0: Wow. Definitely go look. Even if you're not an earring person, just go look. (laughs) That's so cool.
1: Again, that's B underscore U underscore beads. B U beads.
0: Awesome. I found an incredible podcast. The book that we're reading this month is about fashion. And I shared that YouTuber that I listened to mm-hmm. a while ago that talks about fashion. And then I was like, you know what? I need to find like podcasts on more areas of the arts, you know? And mm-hmm. I found this one it's called dressed the history of fashion. Ooh! It's hosted by two women, April and Cassidy, who are fashion historians I you know, I just love that these jobs exist. Yes, Amazing. I know. Um, they've actually been called by Vogue, which I mean of what Who's Vogue? Yeah, <laughs> what? never heard of that. <laughs> they've been called the Gold Standard of Fashion Podcasting.
1: Wow. So that's okay. That's pretty cool. I've been in the need of a new podcast.
0: And let's do it. Um I've only listened to a few. Of course, the first one I listened to was The History of Designer Logos. I mean, can you blame me? I saw logos, I went, oh <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> also, they have like 300 episodes. Yeah, they have a wow. ton. So yeah, okay. it was really cool. They went into like the history of Louis Vuitton and like how he started making luggage and Coco Chanel and like everything like that. It was incredible. And then the other one I listened to was Elizabeth Hawes, Fashion Rebel. And she's now one of the coolest people I've ever heard about. And you can expect a future episode coming out on Elizabeth Hawes because she's amazing. Yeah, just like a social justice warrior who made dresses, like count me in. So yeah, yeah, they have a ton of episodes on a bunch of different people. I also want to do an episode on Elizabeth Keckley. And yeah, they just go into everything about fashion, like where it started, how it got to where it is, all sorts of different things. So really, really cool. Very well thought out and researched and everything.
1: I, yeah, I'm so excited to... Find this. Do they have an Instagram? Yes, they do. On Instagram, it's just dressed underscore podcast.
0: We are following them as well. And they of course post things that match with the episodes they did. So it's really cool to go and see the fashion that they've been talking about and how it relates to everything. So check them out. Seriously, such a cool podcast. Yeah, I love
1: it. All right, now back to the show. Okay, well, Talk a little bit about how the movie then got made. So, as we mentioned, that the movie was based on the idea by Jane Fonda, who had recently formed her own production company, which was called IPC. This is a quote. She said, My ideas for films always come from things that I hear and perceive in my daily life. A very old friend of mine had started an organization in Boston called 9 to 5, which was an association of women office workers. I heard them talking about their work, and they had some great stories, and I've always been attracted to those 1940s films with three female stars. (laughs) There was a moment, too, when they were talking about the movie in the documentary where it talked about, like, jane fonda coming in and being like so how many of you have fantasized about killing your bosses and (laughs) there was like one woman that was like you know how hollywood is like always making things so dramatic but then she like pointed out but then every single woman raised her hand and like (laughs) could comment on the fact that they had fantasized about killing their bosses and so there's come so something funny. that the movie was from there also was a moment
0: where like a tv interviewer was interviewing the founders of the nine-to-five organization and he was uh-huh. like oh so you were inspired by the movie and she went no we inspired the movie inspired the
1: movie uh-huh. and, and
0: i i thought that, that was a really cool part to where it's like no like we were first the movie happened because of us not the other way around
1: (laughs) which is an important (laughs) distinction fonda said that the film at first was going to be a drama but she said that any way we did it it seemed too preachy too much of a feminist line i had wanted to work with lily tomlin for some time and it suddenly occurred to her producing partner whose name was bruce and me that we should make it a comedy patricia resnick Is a woman who wrote the first draft drama and Fonda cast herself, Lily Tomlin and Dolly Parton in the leads. I'm pretty sure that they like almost like had it mentally casted before the entire thing was done. So they almost had to go and like convince Dolly Parton to do this.
0: I saw somewhere that it was like in her contract that she got to write the song for the movie or otherwise she wouldn't do it
1: she wouldn't do it yeah (laughs) colin higgins is the person who wrote the final green play he came on board to direct and then of course like i said rewrite the script part of his job was to make room for all three of them in the script higgins said fonda was a very encouraging producer who allowed him to push back production while the script was being rewritten quote from dolly parton about Colin Higgins. He's a very nice, quiet, low-key guy. I don't know what I would have done if I had one of those mean directors on my first film. Mm-hmm. Higgins admitted that, quote, he expected some tension from working with three stars, but they were totally professional, great fun, and a joy to work with. I just wish everything would be this easy. Which Aww. I thought was a nice quote. It's always nice to like hear like they all got along and it was yeah. a lovely experience for I them. I mean, you all know? of
0: them are incredibly legendary women.
1: So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's like nice to hear. Like, okay, good. They all caught along. It was great. Jane Fonda said she did a lot of research focusing on women who had begun work late in life due to divorce or being widowed, which is what happens to Jane Fonda and also the other character that was played by Lily Tomlin. She is a widowed character. I don't think I mentioned that. Here's another quote. What I found was that secretaries know the work they do is important, is skilled, but they also know that they're not being treated with respect. They call themselves office wives. They have to put gas in the boss's car, get the coffee, buy the presents for his wife and mistress, like you mentioned. Yeah. So when we came to do this film, we said to Colin, okay, what you have to do is write a screenplay which shows you can run an office without a boss, but you can't run an office without the secretaries, which I really liked. I love that. And- You know what? True. When you're the bottom of the totem pole in an office, which has been my life for the last (laughs) six years, (laughs) sometimes it's like, hmm, don't forget who keeps you in motion. Yeah, for real though. Nine to five, the song. So like you mentioned, That was a big part of Dolly Parton choosing to do this. This was her very first acting debut, so she was obviously nervous about that to go from being primarily a songwriter and performer to acting. So she wanted to write the song for it. So the film's theme song, obviously, 9 to 5, written recorded by Parton, it became one of her biggest hits of the decade. This is such a cool story. So while filming the 9 to 5 movie, she found that she could use her long acrylic fingernails to simulate the sound of a typewriter. and she wrote the song on set by clicking her nails together and forming the beat. I don't remember where I read it, but I think I cop- forgot to copy it into my notes and now it's long gone. But there's like a quote from Jane Fonda talking about how like she pulled her and Lily over to be like, hey, this is what I got here so far. And like Jane Fonda like had this like moment of clarity where she was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be huge. Like, you know, like realizing just kind of like what was happening. Yeah. Um, this is a quote from Dolly Parton talking about it. She said, when I actually wrote the song, I used my acrylic nails on the set when I was writing it, adding that they make noise that kind of sounds like a typewriter. What's more is her nails even have an official credit on the record. And it says nails by Dolly on the album. I love that so I much. Just so cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> And the song was very successful. It went to number one for two weeks on the Billboard Hot 100, as well as the U.S. Country Singles Chart. And it was nominated for several awards, including the Academy Award for Best Original Song. And then it won the 1981 People's Choice Award for Favorite Motion Picture Song. And it won two Grammy Awards for Country Song of the Year and Country Female Country Vocal of the Year. That's awesome. Which is really cool some quotes that i found about the song that i really liked ones from karen nussbaum she said i think the song is brilliant it starts with pride pour myself a cup of ambition it goes to grievances barely getting by it then goes to class conflict you're just a step on the boss man's ladder and then it ends with collective power in the same boat with a lot of your friends so in the space of this widely popular song with the great beat dolly parton just puts it all together by herself And then this other quote, 9 to 5 became an anthem for working women, uniting women together under one battle cry for fair working conditions. A New York Magazine writer Rebecca Traster commented, "9 to 5 is simultaneously a song of an angry complaint and immense good cheer, and there is something about that combination that makes it kind of addictive and fun." I love true. that. That is so true. It really is. Like it is such a catchy song with like, I I love that song so much. It's so good. This is a funny random thing. So, 9 to 5, like I mentioned, it made bunch of money in the box office but there's a funny quote that i found from the president at the time ronald reagan um apparently he wrote in his presidential diary that he and his wife nancy watched the film on valentine's day in 1981 and he wrote funny but one scene made me mad a truly funny scene if the three gals had played getting drunk but no they had to get stoned on pot it was an endorsement of pot smoking of any young person who sees the picture which i just thought that was so funny (laughs) oh
0: my gosh why is that like hilarious that that's what he took out of it
1: yeah literally he's like great but why like they're endorsing pot (laughs) i'm like oh my gosh that's hilarious so president did not like the pot apparently i want to talk a little bit about the nine to five musical and then i found an article that rolling stones did not too long ago with the original screenwriter patricia resnick who actually wrote the book for nine to five the musical Hmm. so in 2008 is when the musical came out which was like almost 30 years after the original movie music and lyrics were done by dolly parton and then like i mentioned patricia did the book that was based on the original screenplay dolly parton did all of the music for the musical yes wow okay uh-huh. That's awesome. and the musical premiered in Los Angeles in September of 2008, opened on Broadway in April of the following year. It received 15 Drama Desk Award nominations that was apparently the most received by a production in a single year, as well as four Tony Awards oh, nominations. They didn't win the awards, but they got nominated, which is cool. But apparently the Broadway production was short-lived. It closed just in September of that year. So it was only on for like six months. But a national tour of the U.S. was launched in 2010, followed a U.K. premiere in 2012. But I think it's like either currently, it was on tour last year in U.K. in 2021. And I think there's like one coming in the U.S. this year in 2022. I don't know if it's like currently going on, but I was reading about that. Oh, so. Cool. I mean, maybe you should do a quick little Google search, see if 9 to 5 is coming to an (laughs) area new you, or if it will be. I think I read that, like, it was supposed to happen in 2020, but, like, Mm -hmm. obviously nothing Nothing happened in 2020. So, yes. Anyways. The Rolling Stones article was like a Q and A with Patricia Resnick. I'm just gonna read a couple of her answers because I thought it was really interesting. Because this was kind of her looking back in remembrance of this amazing movie. Because, like I mentioned, she wrote the original kind of dramatic screenplay version of it, and then Colin Higgins went on to turn it into the comedy that it was. So the question that the person writing the article said you did background research for nine to five by spending time with office workers at fox studios insurance company do you recall any specific people who inspired the stories in the film and she said this is actually the genesis of doralee the dolly parton character there was the head guy secretary i had spent some time with some of the other secretaries first before talking to her and nobody liked her Everybody had a bunch of awful things to say about her and they said she got to be his secretary because she was sleeping with him and on and on. I finally went out to lunch with her one day and she had a couple of martinis and her tongue got pretty loose and she started telling me about her life and she started crying. She was a really nice woman. She was living with her mom and taking care of her and she knew everybody thought she was sleeping with the boss and she said she wasn't and that gave me the idea for that character." Which I was like, that's so sad. But I mean, I love that like so much of this movie was just them listening to the stories of women who were in these situations and putting it on, you know, yeah. putting it right in the movie. They didn't have to stretch any you no. know, crazy truth. So much of it like
0: fit perfectly into there where it was just like, yeah, this is exactly what's happening let's just slide it right into the movie
1: yeah so this is kind of about the transition from her from colin higgins taking it over so the question was you wrote the screenplay and then when colin higgins was signed on to direct he reworked it and how did it change she said i had written a very dark comedy in which the secretaries actually tried to kill the boss although they tried to kill him in sort of funny ways originally jane had been concerned that it would be too dark which makes sense I screened an old Charlie Chaplin film called Monsieur Verdot for her. In it, Chaplin's wife is blind and he has a child. He's kind of a blackbeard. He romances a series of women through the course of the movie and murders them in order to get money and support his family. It is a comedy, but at the end, they hang him. I turned to Jane at the end of the movie and tears were rolling down her cheeks, but she was concerned the women wouldn't be sympathetic enough. I said, he really killed all these women and you're crying. I just want them to try. They won't be successful. And she said, okay. But then when Colin came in, he was very influenced by Warner Bros. cartoons and things like that. And so their attempts to kill him became the fantasy scenes and he made it a much broader comedy. So I thought that was so interesting that, you know, they originally... Were, but they were too concerned about, you know, not making sympathetic characters enough, which I think was a good move because if you're already creating some type of feminist art, which is going to be maybe controversial, like... <laughs> you have to make them a little bit more sympathetic. Yeah, I
0: love that they like fantasize about it, obviously, but it's to a point where like they wouldn't actually ever do it. Like she's completely horrified when she thinks she might have actually. When she realizes, him. yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think it makes it feel more human because it's like, oh yeah, you like might think you want to kill them, but you don't actually
1: want to kill. Actually, want to kill them exactly. then they asked her if she spent time on set and she said when I worked with Altman he had the writers on set through the entire production and I kind of thought that's the way Hollywood worked when Colin Higgins came in on nine to five I had one meeting with him and he basically said I write by myself I'm not going to write with you I believe there's one captain on set and that's the director I don't want the actors going to you instead of me so if you want to visit on set once and have lunch that's fine That was the way he worked and it was really heartbreaking. I think I cried every night for a couple of weeks. When I went to the first screening, I felt like I had a kid and the kid kid was sent off to military school and came back two years later and I was squinting and going, I guess this is kind of my kid. It was really very painful, but that's unfortunately how it goes with writers and features. You don't own copyright. They can fire you. They can replace you. They can change the director. And that was a very hard lesson to learn. So I feel like this is kind of Interesting that, like, in this movie and in the creation of this movie, there's like a moment where a woman isn't, you know, getting—I don't know—recognize the word, and it's hard because, like, I don't know how normal this situation is, yeah. or like if it was just Colin who worked that way. I don't know, but kind of some, maybe some irony there <laughs> of, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's existing yeah. right in this movie. You'd
0: kind of hope that that's how he would have reacted regardless of gender you know what i mean just so that it makes it seem a little bit more that's just how he was kind of thing like he's a director that's how he does his art but Mm -hmm. that is really hard like that would be really difficult to spend that much time with something and then
1: be like okay i guess yeah it's different now and someone else took over it yeah So then the interviewer talked to her and asked her about what it was like being a female writer in the 70s. And the question was, do you have particular war stories or was it more of a silent bias? And she said it just wasn't going to happen because she talked about in the original, like in the previous question about how she really wanted to direct. But that, that never really happened. So anyways, she said, I would say I'd like to direct and everyone would sort of smile. And that was kind of that. The one anecdote though I do have is I was seven months pregnant with my first child when I directed a short film and I won an award for Cable Excellence Award. Then a powerful female producer said to me, well, you can't plan on directing with a baby. And I said, I can direct with a baby. And then I realized soon after that, particularly because I was a single parent, I really couldn't. I mean, I could have, but it wasn't something I was going to pursue at the time. My career changed and I had to think about things I don't think men have to think about. I ended up having two kids on my own. And by that time, features had really kind of dried up for me. I think it was a combination of age and gender. I just couldn't get work. I started by reluctantly doing television, which I actually came to love. And she goes on in the article to like talk about the fact that she feels that now it seems that women are better at building each other up you know, rather than with that example, the woman was kind of like, oh, but you had a baby. There's no way you can do it. And even though she, like I said, she realizes now that like being a single mom, like that actually probably would have been very difficult, you know, that like maybe now it seems like women are a little bit more likely to help each other out. I think
0: sometimes we want to be the reality check for people. And I think Mm -hmm. that that is a role that not really any of us need to play. I think a lot of people will reality check themselves at some point. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) I've thought about that a lot today, actually. That's kind of a side tangent, but like you don't have the responsibility of being the reality check for anyone else. Like even your kid, even your spouse, unless it's like detrimental to your life in some way, I don't think anyone has has to be the one. Yeah, you don't have to be the one that's like, hey, you know all those dreams you have? Tough luck, they're never gonna happen. Like that's not your responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really sad when people feel like they need to take that on. Like you, you don't like people will figure it out. I promise.
1: (laughs) Yeah. They'll figure it out. And like, what hurt does it do for you to support them the best you can and, you know, let them try. Exactly.
0: And I think you can lay out the realities. Be like, okay, this is where we are. This is our financial situation. Like,
1: Especially, this is what it's going to take yeah. for your dreams to come true is this worth it
0: <laughs> yeah especially if it involves you personally but if it doesn't like if it's i don't know your employee or your friend or like your student like no you don't owe them anything like let them dream let them do whatever they want you you know mm-hmm. it's not your responsibility yeah, exactly. to reality check someone else's life
1: i like that that like that sentiment of like not your job to yeah. reality check people yeah i like that exactly. I like the good way of wording it
0: thanks but yeah i like she didn't need to tell her that she couldn't direct
1: with baby. Let her figure that out on she her own. Figure it out on her own. <laughs> um I do want to end with a little just tidbits of what Dolly Parton has said about 9 to 5 and about her experience creating it because just we love Dolly Parton. Love I definitely Dolly. have a sweatshirt that says in Dolly we trust. So oh, perfect. Love Dolly. So here's a quote. She said, I have never done any acting at all. Never thought I'd be particularly good at it. I think she told Playboy magazine actually in 1978. According to the book Dolly on Dolly, interviews and encounters with Dolly Parton, she said, but the people at 20th Century Fox really feel like I can be or that I am a natural actress. Uh, when the studio approached Parton about acting, she was unsure initially because she lacked experience. This is her very first time. She said, I don't know if I can or can't, but if you think I can and you want to take that chance, I'll take it with you, she said. It's as simple as that. Can you imagine me being an actress? But a lot of people are interested. Sandy Gallin, my manager, is making a hellacious deal, but no one knows if I can do it at all, which I thought was really nice. And then in her 2020 book, Dolly Parton's Storyteller, My Life and Lyrics, she wrote about working with Fonda and Tomlin. She said, Lily and Jane were very helpful Jane is the one who got me in the movie. She was thinking Dolly will get us the South. I told her later as a joke, well, I might get you some North and East and West too because I have a lot of fans, which (laughs) I just love that. I love that so much <sighs> but yeah apparently the cast and crew showed her the ropes jane said don't worry about acting just be yourself the director will tell you what to do and you'll learn um dabney coleman who played mr hart taught me a lot too he's a texas guy and he had a great connection they all knew it was my first time in the movies so they were all really helpful people are generous And that's what Dolly Parton said about her experience making 9 to 5, which I loved. I love that so much.
0: Oh, apparently Dolly Parton and Kelly Clarkson did a duet in the documentary. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't even realize. Yeah, I
1: didn't notice that. That's awesome. A little side note there. Cool. Well, if you didn't do what we said, and if you didn't go watch 9 to 5 (laughs) before you continue to listen... I hope this inspires you to go watch that movie now. I want to see the musical in college for one of like my songs I did for the semester. There's a song from it that's called "Get Out and Stay Out," and I love that song. We're gonna have to look it up. So go listen to "Get Out and Stay Out." But yeah, there is nine two five. Like I said at the beginning, just in a very beautiful, amazing piece of feminism and art and the way that feminism inspires art and, and art inspires the,
0: feminism and oh, right. this
1: kind of art inspires our podcast and that's why we're here
0: <laughs> definitely I'd also highly recommend the documentary especially like yes. after you watch the movie it's great it wasn't that long and it was super no. amazing just it was interesting yeah just to hear about another piece of like feminist history and Uh, what the women who have gone before us have fought for and how they Mm -hmm. rallied the troops like it was just really incredible and really like heartwarming to hear about that so
1: yeah it really was yeah so check it out too it's just on netflix thanks for listening if you've been listening for a while and you like it send it to a friend go follow us on instagram if you're not because we'll keep on you know providing visuals keep Mm -hmm. talking about the episode for the rest of the week and write us a review yeah Give us a rating that'd be great a
0: review It really, really helps. I know every single podcaster says that, but it really does. And
1: that's because it's really really true. Yeah.
0: And we'll be back, I guess this is the end of the month. So yeah, yeah, we're back next month with
1: more to talk about. (laughs) Yes. Cool. Bye. Bye. Bye.